0: This week's sermon from C3 Church Narara We hope you enjoy this message For more information or to contact us Visit c3church.narara.net Thank you Thanks, Ben. I have actually been to Villers-Bretonneux. Sorry. Yeah. I was a little bit more tactful about it, I think. I didn't just blatantly say, I want to go see these cool, you know, war war battlefields and everything like that. I just told her, there's these really nice country towns I want to take you to in the French countryside. This one, Villers-Bretonneux, it's really nice. Look at these quaint, cool things. And then we should go see some beaches. I don't know, Normandy? that seems cool. Let's go walk along the beaches. Oh, what do you know? There's like pillboxes here. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, it was great. (laughs) Um, So today I want to talk, we've been having a bit of a, I guess, mini-series about guarding your heart. Um, The scripture that really comes to, to the mind when you think about guarding your heart and guarding your mind is Proverbs 4.23. If you want to... Uh, Turn there, or digitally move there. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. I think it's really interesting to think about something within us that we know all our actions are dictated from, and yet we also need to protect it. Um, And so I want to talk about uh, guarding your heart, and what is guarding um, and obviously, I'm going to put a, a fair bit of military spin on this message today. So um, if that's not your vibe, I apologize. But hopefully, it's um, an insight into some of the things I've been studying and um, experienced and looked into. So I'm going to start off with a historical example. Has anyone heard of the Six-Day War? Hands up, anyone? Yep. If you haven't, it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting one. Strap yourselves in. Um, as the title would suggest, it's a war that went for six days. Uh, 1967, so we have on one side all the Arab states of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and a little cameo by Lebanon, Lebanon who decided that they don't like the Jews-Israel nation, um, a rivalry that's lasted a few millennia, and they thought, right, this is it, we're going to get together with an armies totaling half a million soldiers, 1,000 combat aircraft and two and a half thousand tanks which is a lot to put it in perspective the Australian army has about 50,000 full-time not soldiers like full-time uh, yeah, personnel um, of those about 5,000 are combat soldiers like what I did and there's uh, I think we have about 80 tanks so to put it in perspective of that we have about 200 combat aircraft so just putting that in perspective On the other side, we had Israel. So they had 50,000 full-time soldiers and 200,000 reserves who could only serve for a little bit because they had to go back to do their regular jobs and keep the country going. They got national service. So you could say about half, almost down the line, they had 200 aircraft and 800 tanks. So it's a real two-to-one ratio here. And for the purposes of this message, I'll just preface this with saying that Israel... uh, was defending itself, although that's a very contentious politically uh, point there. But Egypt started by blockading and massing troops on the border. So Israel kind of read between the lines there and went, oh, gee, I wonder what you're going to do. All right. So as part of protecting itself, Israel launched a mass attack, air ground against Sinai, which is part of Egypt, the West Bank, um, Gaza Strip, Golan Heights, crippled the entire air, um, air force, An entire division, a division is a really large part of the military. If I'm going to work my way up, a section is eight people, a platoon is 30 people, a company is 100, a battalion is 500, a brigade is 5,000, and a division is like triple that. Um, So 15,000-ish. So Australia only has two divisions, a full-time one and a part-time one. And Egypt got one completely wiped out in a day. Um, or not wiped out, but ineffective in a day. And so, by the end of the uh, the fight or six day period, Israel had seized the Gaza Strip, the peninsula, or the West Bank, um, which is Jerusalem, Golan Heights. Um, they had lost about nine hundred soldiers, uh, which is you know unfortunate. And the Arab states had lost about eighteen thousand soldiers. Um, so afterwards, Israel decided they'd give back the Sinai Peninsula. They kept some parts of what they took over, but for the most part, they gave it back. And the Middle East has had no problems ever since. So why am I saying this? Um, why am I saying this? Okay, like, okay great. There was a crazy, like, very, very short war, and Israel just hammered um, all these other countries into oblivion. Um, well, there's a few lessons I want to learn from this. It's the first point I always like to bring up, this is my best example to non-believers of um, Christianity, that God exists and the Jews are still the chosen people in some ways. So I always point to this, I'm like, you don't think God exists, Google the six-day war and tell me God doesn't exist. Um, but for the most part, for the purpose of this message, I want to talk about this um, example and how it it really illustrates how we should be guarding our hearts and how we should go about it, and I don't mean, you know, like go out and start fights kind of way, but in terms of defending ourselves from sin, Well, that is essentially what we're guarding against. So what is guarding? It's a, I think when you think guard, you might think a like a Roman or medieval dude standing in front of the palace doors, or I'm not sure what comes to mind, but I have the Australian Defence Force definition of guard, and that is, I, would like to say I could remember this off the top of my head, but definitely didn't. Um, I had to go back into my notes to find this, and that is guard is a form of security operation primarily tasked to pr- pr- protect the main body while fighting to gain time while also observing and reporting information and preventing enemy ground observation of and direct fire against the main body. Everyone following? <laughs> <laughs> no? What are you talking about? Different language. Cool. So, the point there, the real key one there is that it's protecting the main body. The main body being your main barracks, your main base, the main uh, division that's doing an advance, whatever it is. The main forces were all your logistics, all the chunky stuff. The guard, be it an advance guard, a rear guard, flank, whatever it is, they are out there to stop the body being attacked. They're there to fight that back. So I want to put this into your mind now that it's not a sentry. A sentry is a form of early warning that you put out, you know, someone out on a hill and they see someone coming going, whoa, and radio back and that's it. No, no, they're not a screen. A screen is another um, security operation which that same person on a hill goes, oh, there's the bad guys, shoots a couple of shots to make the bad guys go, whoa, and then run. No, a guard is going to dig in and actually fight them and stop them for a bit, okay? It's not just, uh, well, I've already explained that, but the whole point is that it's actually going to fight back, okay? It's not the main body. It's protecting the main body by fighting back to provide resistance, and you can, in that definition, to gain time, to deny the enemy observation so the enemy can't see the main body. They don't even get close enough and, uh, what is it, and to prevent direct fire. Direct fire is like shooting at people, indirect fire is bombs over the horizon, which you can't stop, but preventing direct fire. So, getting close enough that they can cause direct damage. The point of the guard is to stop that. And so, from what I'm taking from this for us is that when we're protecting our hearts, we're protecting this from sin. We have to guard our hearts and to keep sin at a distance. We're not letting sin get into our heart and go, oh, I've got to fix that. It's too late. That's not guarding your heart. You need to stop it getting that close to begin with. You need to identify it and prevent it getting so far into your life that it becomes an issue. That's what I'm getting at today. And I really want to draw out the three main points of what a guard is. So the first one is that a guard, as I already hit up a couple of times, is that a guard actually fights. A guard is not an early warning. It's not a sentry. It's not a screen. It's not um, even just a wall. Uh, It is a manned operation that someone has to get told, you are going to be a guard. All right? And for us, that means we have to think, I have to consciously think of what I'm going to do. All the time, I need to protect myself, I need to protect my heart from everything constantly going on in the world. What did the Israelis do? So they protected by fighting. They didn't just let the Egypt, the Arab states come in and go, oh, okay, better push them out. No, no, they stopped them even getting in. They saw what was about to happen. They saw the Egyptians basically grab the collar and raise a fist and the Israelis were like, I know what's next. I'm not going to let that happen. The point was that they actually fought back and pushed them away, like physically pushed them off the continent. In our instance, we're going to push that sin away, identify it as it starts to come into our life. Is it a, just a bad acquaintance? Is it someone at work? Is it something on the internet? Is it a movie? Whatever it is, identify it early and, and push that back away from you. Keep it away. Don't let it become a habit before it's too late. The other point there is that, <clears throat> has, anyone, has anyone here actually been in a fight? Is anyone brave enough to put their hand up? I know one person has because he's spoken about it very commonly on this before he was a Christian, before he was a pastor. But um, Martin, yep, okay, I see that. Yep, private school boy, just throwing some elbows. That's cool. Anyway, um, well, I've heard from my own personal experience, but being in a fight is really physically painful, um, even if you win. Okay? So I think the point here is that when... When we are setting ourselves up and go, right, I'm going to need to guard my heart, that doesn't mean that, great, I am therefore protected. I'm in a completely um, invulnerable suit of armor that even if I am, you know, wearing the spiritual armor, I'm going to be completely invulnerable. Nothing's going to happen to me. That's not the case. When sin comes into our lives, to fight it back is painful, it, it sometimes means pushing or, or closing off relationships that's painful. It might mean that you, you have to discipline your mind against something that your body actually wants. You know, maybe it's gluttony. Maybe I really like drinking lots of alcohol or coke. There's a, there's a guy at my work right now that legitimately drinks two litres of coke every single shift Morning, afternoon or night shift. I have seen him come in at 6am in the morning, open a two litre thing, pour it out into a jug and just that's his shift. Every single shift. I kid you not. And I just, I made a joke once. I'm like, mate, how often do you go to the dentist? He's like, nah, don't, no, don't go to the dentist. I'm like, what do you mean? When was the last time you went into the dentist? Oh, the 80s. I'm like, are you serious? It's like, I'm dead serious. I haven't been to the dentist since the 80s. I'm like, oh my goodness. His, che- his teeth are Swiss cheese, but anyway, um, he—he's not a Christian. He needs God. He—he's um, got a bad habit in his life, and he works. There's nurses in the room, and they're all like, "Oh my goodness!" Like, anyway, he's um, yeah, he's a fun dude. But uh, my point is here that, that you know sometimes it's it, it's going to be painful to fight. You know, God isn't gonna. Um, deliberately just make sure that everything is all okay 100% of the time, clean sailing. There's no, there's no growth in that. You're not going to become stronger. You need to actually fight and that, that pain is growth. And We'll get into that a bit later, but I think it's really important to know that when you're going into these, you realize like, okay, I'm making a conscious effort here. Something's coming into my life. I'm going to have to really deal with this, that it's going to be painful, like spiritually painful, sometimes. You know, Ephesians says to put on the armor of the Lord, to be strong in His power, to hold on to His promises, so to, to pray and to identify all His promises. I did it a while ago. I actually sat down as I was going through a crazy time in life. I went, what are actually all the promises in the Bible that God promises to us that we can declare over our lives? And I spent a couple of days just researching and going through. He promises health. He promises you know, prosperity. You just go through, list them all, and identify which ones apply to your given situation, the scriptures that go with it, and pray it over your life. Pray those scriptures over your life. Like, fight for it. Don't be passive about it and go, well, it's in the Bible, it'll happen. Like, no, no, no. Hold on to that. Put it on your fridge, put it, listen to podcasts about it, you know, listen to it. Have it in your head all the time. Listen to it. Fight for this. You know? You have to be proactive. Fighters are proactive. You can't be reactive. If you're reactive, then you're on the back foot. Any any sport, any fighting analogy, you, whatever it is, even business, don't be on the back foot. Be on the front foot with these things. Fight for it. Move forward. We're not fighting against flesh and blood like the Israelis did. We're fighting against the spiritual warfare of sin in our lives. And in a way, that's the stakes are way higher because flesh and blood, yep, you got about 90, 80 years, done, okay? It's, it can be a long time when we're here now, but fighting in the spirit, we're fighting for eternity. We're fighting for something that exists completely outside of time. So it's not something you want to stuff up. Like That's the reality of it. I think it's really important to identify the forces of evil are intentionally going to come after you. They're not just going to go, let you go live through your life and see when your guard's down and go, oh, whatever. They're going to ha- take the opportunity to come at you. They really are. If you've had the opportunity, read the screw tape letters. There's a little recommendation out there. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote the, uh, the Narnia books. And he writes stories, letters, um, from the, the perspective of two demons and the whole point of these demons is they're trying to get and ruin this guy's life. And the whole point of them corresponding is them coming up with plans like, oh, why don't we try lust? And it didn't work. All right, next time, what we're going to try, we're going to get him through uh, you know, greed in his workplace. And that almost got, oh, there's something there. And the whole point is they're strategizing how to just ruin this guy's life. And it's really, it's kind of confronting, but it's interesting to read because that's us. They're, right now, there are demons, like literal demons planning to ruin your life. And the thing that's stopping them is you being on guard, being connected in the spirit to God, and being armed with the scriptures and fighting them off. Okay? And that's on you. You know, one of the the core tenets of Christianity is that the individual choice is on you. It's an individual relationship, it's not a community going to God. It's not like you're born into it. None of that. You have to make a choice to say, I'm going to be a Christian and therefore I'm going to adhere and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to fight for it, okay? So don't let sin get too close. Stay close to God. Pick the right friends, whatever it is. Don't let your standards slide. Don't watch the wrong movies, whatever it is. Be proactive in not letting sin get close. Be on your guard and be a fighter for it. So how do we become effective spiritual warriors, which is kind of what we're talking about here? Well, you need to train which is always fun. So I will give an example with the uh, Israeli cruise, um, Israeli example. The air crews trained for weeks doing quick refitting of the aircraft so that the aircraft could go bomb some airfields and get back and quickly refit and do it multiple times before the enemy could even get off the ground and, and figure out what was going on. So before the Egyptians could scramble all their aircraft, the Israelis had already done several bombing salvos and completely ruined everything. Because all the way down to the ground crews, the least glamorous job, when you think Air Force, you think Top Gun, cool, playing volleyball, dropping bombs, awesome. Um, you don't even think of the, gra- the guys on the ground like, hooking up missiles and um, scrubbing the tyres or anything like that, but they were the ones that were rehearsing and training to make sure that these guys were equipped and ready to go, the oiled machine the whole way through. you know. On the other hand, uh, I didn't write the professor's name down because I looked him up and he was just a, another university historical professor, but he said about the Syrian army, and I just thought it was kind of funny, it was kind of understated, British historian one would be hard-pressed to find a military less prepared for war than the Syrian army in 1967, <laughs> which I just thought was kind of funny. Like, you guys started it. What were you doing? Um, like, but the point there is that they train for it. I've heard so many times I've spent most of my, pretty much everyone's military career nowadays is most of the time you're just training Because you have to be ready for something. Even when you do go overseas, when people go overseas, you've spent years getting to that point to train up for it. I've heard it so many times that you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. So if you train to a certain standard, when you're fatigued and when you're you're mentally, you're spiritually exhausted, you're not going to go pull off some miracle yourself. You're going to go back to what you're used to, your habits, what your rhythm is. You're not going to suddenly develop a prayer habit and reading the Bible out of nowhere when you haven't been doing it for years. That's what you need to do as a norm and that's what you can rely on as your strength. You know, God is going to prepare us. I think it's important for that and He is going to train and test us. He's going to make sure that we're trained and equipped and prepared and that means he's going to test us. You know, I said this before, but if anyone's ever been to the gym, actually the first time... I ever went to the gym. I remember this, I was going through my first year in the army and I realized I'm a skinny teenager and I'm tired of being the smallest guy. I'm going to the gym, which is the thing that people do to get strong apparently. Had no idea. Never been to the gym as a teenager. I just thought surfing and rugby would be good enough. Anyway, so I went to the gym and went into that room where they've got all the like the cable machines. They got these ones and these ones and these ones and I had no idea. I just went, all right, sat down on this one and did this. And then it really started to hurt. And then I was like, oh, okay, go over to this one. All right, what's this is, uh, oh, this one. Okay, I did this until it hurt. And then just went around the whole room, did every single machine and did every random thing. And then I went, okay, I guess that's a workout. I'll go home now. <laughs> anyway, I had no idea what I was doing. What I also didn't know what happens when you train your muscles is that it hurts, especially the next day. Had no idea what DOMS is, Delayed Onset Muscle Soreness. So the next morning I woke up, I remember trying to roll out of bed and went, oh, oh, I've broken everything. Everything is broken. What's going on? I remember I literally was in my bed and I reached over and called my friend who was a gym junkie and was down the hallway. living, And I'm like, i remember it i'm like cameron what's going on i can't get out of bed he's like what what you went to the gym i'm like yeah what, what is this he explained it to me he came he opened the door and was just literally laughing at me and came over and was like poking me anyway but i just remember thinking oh okay so it like really hurts yeah exactly training hurts if you want to grow it actually is kind of painful when you, when you go into the gym and all that, the muscles are literally ripping and then rebuilding again, stronger. So if you want to grow spiritually, it's going to be painful. You have to go about whatever you're doing comfortably and then go a little bit more than that, and then a little bit more than that again. Maybe it's just praying five minutes, moving to ten minutes. Maybe it's, maybe it's reading the Bible once a week to every two days. Maybe it's once a week, just putting it out there to someone at work that you're a Christian that you've never done before. Whatever it is... Going outside your comfort zone and growing spiritually until that becomes the norm, and then going again until you keep growing. Psalm twenty six two says, and this is David, he says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. He's he's challenging God. Test me. Do it. I wanna grow. I wanna I wanna get better. He wants to have his heart and mind examined. He doesn't wanna, you know, just yep. Yeah, I'm good, I'm the king, killed Goliath, did that. What else is there? Got the babes, got, got, won the battles, it's all good. Got the palace. No, he wants to keep getting better. The whole point there is that he wants to be tested. And God will test you. All right. And I think it's important to know that when you are trying to train at something, uh, across you know, all the different pieces of being a Christian, that God is not going to test you at what you're already good at. If you're already great at being an event, you know, going out and speaking to people about Jesus and stuff, he's probably going to test you on what you're doing introspectively. If you're really bad at that at going out and speaking to people, he's probably going to test you about that. He's, probably, he's going to test you on what you're bad at, which is, again, more painful. It's sometimes kind of frustrating. Honestly, I went through training. <clears throat> so going through military training, uh, but six years ago. I was at the Royal Military College and part of that, they run scenarios. So you go out into the bush for months on end and they'll go, righto, um, Browning, you are going to do an attack on that hill and there's some enemy on top of the hill and there's some dudes in rags or whatever they're wearing and they're shooting blanks at you and you've got to plan a little operation and get rid of, get rid of them. Anyway, I kept get, giving, get given the same scenario all the time and I hated it. it was, it's called an It's an ambush scenario. And so that means you have to plan a really meticulously, slow, ordered, step-by-step operation to get into an area really quietly, set everyone up. It takes forever and it's really slow until people basically walk along and you shoot them and then grab their stuff and go. Anyway, if anyone knows me, slow and meticulous is not my thing. I hated doing them. I did about four in a row and I, I remember by the second one, I'm even... I even remembered asking the instructor, I'm like, Can you not give me an ambush? I'd find them really, really boring. And you're like, oh okay, yeah, well keep it in consideration. <laughs> Here's your scenario, uh, Cadet Browning, it's a it's an ambush. <laughs> yeah, great. So after four, and I was getting a little fed up, I remember at the start of a lot of exercises, they'll sit you down and, and to ask about, you know, what do you want to get better at and blah blah blah. And I remember going, I'm well I'm just gonna do the opposite then because I keep Asking not to be given ambushes, and I keep giving them. And I went, "Well, look, I'm actually really struggling with my quick decision making. Um, I really, I'm really, really scared of like things going not to plan, and I have to figure things out on the ground. And because I mean, I find planning like really easy. I love just sitting down for hours and meticulously planning things out. So I hate it when things just go off the rails. Um, anyway, so I hope that I get an ambush, and that way I can just really." make sure things are really lined up perfectly. And then are oh, okay, well, we'll see how you go then. Yeah. And so sure enough, the next time they give me this scenario that just completely goes out of the wire and people are running around screaming, we've got vehicles going here and all kinds of stuff. And I loved it, having a blast. I, was, I remember I was in an armored vehicle and I was yelling and running out and grabbing people and doing all kinds of things. It was so much better than doing a stupid ambush again. And at the end of it, they're like... You know, Kenneth um, Browning, you, I, I don't think you need to be concerned about your ability in these sort of situations. You're actually quite good at them. <laughs> I went, oh, am I? Oh, no. A plus. I got an A plus for it. I was like, oh, did I? Great. Oh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I should have got another ambush. Yeah, okay, sure. But the, my point is there, it's good to train on what you're not good at. Okay, Know what you're really bad at. and probably, It's probably something you don't want to admit to yourself. Probably something you're a little bit embarrassed about. So maybe ask your partner, maybe ask your family, like be open and honest and brutal because it'll hurt to what you're bad at is not what you want to really generally, you tuck it away in a corner and you're like, let's not talk about that. Um, so I think it's really important to identify what you're bad at and train at it, not to ignore it, not to completely think about, no, I'm fine. Anyway, train your heart. Being on guard isn't just fighting, being, being ready. It's not just fighting, it's, it's being ready to fight at any given time. It's being training up to when something happens, you go, I got this. God set me up for this. I might be weak in this area or this area, but I'm ready. I know what I need to do. I've got the habits. I've got everything ready to go. Don't be caught off guard. See, that's where that saying comes from, off guard. There you go. All right? And my last point when it comes to guarding is that it takes endurance because guarding is not a short little thing that you're going to do, you're not going to fight once, done. In the ring, out, fights over, 11 rounds or an 80-minute match or whatever it is. No, maintaining guard, it needs to be all the time. It needs to happen constantly because if you let your guard down, then that's when you're vulnerable. The point is that you keep your guard up all the time. Without a guard, you're vulnerable, bang. Bang. Devil's going to take advantage of that. Sin is going to come in, and that, and this time, if your guard's down, you're not going to have the opportunity to put up a fight. You gave up on that part. I'm just—it's I'm just, it's, it's just it's too tiring. I'm just, I'm, I just—I haven't been tithing. I haven't been praying. Whatever it is, there's a vulnerability. The devil's going to see that, and he's going to come straight into that area of your life and invade it. And you're not even—it's going to be—you can't push it out. It's going to be in, in. And then you've got a, a bigger problem, right? Then, yeah, um, then you know. I won't go too far into military analogies, but that's when someone's inside your perimeter, you have a really, really bad time. Really bad time. And it's going to be a lot harder. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? You have to make sure you're not letting your guard down and you're not defenseless. Draw on the strength that God has able for us all the time. He's right there. You might think, well, that's kind of impossible. I can't know, physically do that. No, but spiritually you can. Spiritually coming to church, it's all the basics. Like we all know what we're supposed to be doing. It's just making sure we do it. Encourage one another. There is constant temptation to let your guard down about some things. Constantly. The world wants us to. Every time, you know, you see someone not even a Christian, any celebrity or any politician espouse something that kind of lines up with Christian ethics, they're just blasted. How dare they? Non-progressive, whatever it is that slightly lines up with a Christian ethos, they're just blasted. You've got to have, make sure you're encouraging one another that when, when people you can see are under attack and they're fatigued and just like, my goodness, encourage one another and really lift each other up I don't think it's it's important to know that even though it's our responsibility to make sure, sure that we're guarding our, our hearts, we, it doesn't mean we can't help each other do that or or identify when someone might need help for a, for a time or just encouraging them. It's really important. I think it would be remiss of me not to, um, you know, on Anzac Day, to not draw out an example of an Anzac and... Uh, An example I want to bring out today, we've been talking about guarding your heart and protecting yourself against, you know, evil. And so I want to talk about Eddie Teddy, Edward, known as Teddy Sheen. Uh, He was born in Tasmania in 1923, enlisted in the Navy at the age of 17, 1941, World War II. So he was posted to a, a, a corvette, which is a type of ship, um, a fighting ship so HMAS Armadale, and on the 1st of December 1942 it was attacked by three Japanese planes and it was struck by two torpedoes and it started to sink as ships do when they're struck by torpedoes so it was escorting another ship so there was a nearby ship near, uh, so the crew basically started abandoning ship they realised this is going down we're jumping overboard um, as the Japanese did, the planes started then to attack the sailors in the water, to shooting them um, in, the, in the water or on life rafts or just clinging to wreckage. So the Japanese were strafing them. So Teddy Sheen himself still on the deck was shot twice and he thought, well, I'm not going to let this happen. So after he was shot twice, he ran across the deck, strapped himself into one of the cannons on the deck and started shooting back at the Japanese uh, planes shooting one down and damaging two others and stopping all the Japanese planes from shooting his crewmates in the water. Sheen continued to fire at the planes as the water came up over the deck, over his feet, and then over the cannon completely. He kept shooting. So much so that his crewmates said that there were still tracer rounds coming out of the water as it went underneath. He just kept shooting, kept going, well after, and so, you know, and obviously then he, he died. Saving the majority of his crewmates. Um, his legacy is that they've named a submarine after him, HMS Sheehan, and the motto is fight on. You might, if anyone's been to the war memorial, you might remember there's a painting of this actual scene uh, of a, you know, his topless bloke strapped in, bleeding to a cannon, shooting at all these uh, Japanese planes. And if you go there, you'll see it. Um, And only four months ago, December 2020, Eddie Sheen, he was awarded the Victoria's Cross, posthumously. It was reviewed as they do, and he was awarded the VC. So he died defending his crewmates, guarding them, as you will. And so while we are guarding against the sin and corruption of the world, we don't have to worry about going down with the ship so to speak we're not going to completely crumble under the pressure of sin because jesus has done that already jesus stayed on the ship protecting us as we would have drowned and died and sin as the wage of sin is death we we would have died eternally but jesus means that we do not have to have that happen to us he has made that sacrifice he came into the world he strapped himself in and when i'm going to take this for you guys You know, I'm going to guard your hearts in a way that you can't do by yourselves, and I'm going to give you that opportunity in the future. But I've got this, and so I just want to end on that note that the ultimate sacrifice for all of us throughout all of history, Anzacs, on a personal level, is Jesus. And as we finish up, I think it's time to remember. You know who's come before us, making sure we've got this amazing country to live in and and the conditions we have, but also in a spiritual sense that we can guard our hearts from sin and keep that safe from us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Amen.